Hey, I just want to uh, say it is family uh, worship, and so parents, I want you to just exhale. Just exhale. It's okay if your kids are wiggling. It's okay if they're jiggling. It's okay if they're running. It's all right. So just uh, know that parents, it's okay, uh, and you don't have to be worried about that. Uh, nobody's looking at you weird. Nobody's looking at you cross-eyed. Um, it's, it's just that. That's just the way it is, and we're grateful to have kids in worship with us today. And so, uh, so parents, again, just take a deep breath. It's all good. And uh, I wanted to, before we jump into our, our sermon this morning, I just wanted to pause. And uh, I wanted us to pause together and just take a time to pray. And it is Memorial Day weekend, and it's not just a three-day weekend. Um, it really is a time for us to pause and to reflect on the men and women who have given their lives um, for our country and for our freedom. And so I just wanted us to just take a moment and pray and then we'll jump into our message. Would that be okay? So let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for the many, many, many men and women who have given their lives for our freedom. God, there are so many families in our nation today who are probably pausing and reflecting on a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, a grandmother, a grandfather, a great-grandmother, a great-grandfather, Lord, who have fought in wars, who have given their lives in wars so that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have. And so, Father, we just, uh, we say thank you. We have a heart of gratitude for that, uh, for these families and for these men and women. And, Lord, because of them, uh, we get to enjoy many different freedoms in our country. And so, Lord, thank you for that. And, uh, and Lord, would you be with those families today as they remember and be with them tomorrow as they remember um, the loss of loved ones that gave everything for us. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. Amen. Well, today we are starting a brand new sermon series called Take Back Your Life. And uh, as we do, I wanted to ask a question to get us started. And the question is this, have you ever considered how the world would be a different place if Hitler was a morning person? I just want you to think about that. And we'll get back to it in a minute, but just let that question resonate in your heart for a little bit. Have you ever considered how the world would be a different place if Hitler had been a morning person? And uh, before we answer that question, I want us to uh, take a look at 1 Kings chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings is uh, in the Old Testament. It's towards the beginning of the Old Testament. Uh, it's when you get into all those first and seconds, first and seconds, and it's one of those. And, uh, and so this morning's message, I'm calling it, uh, uh, this is your wake-up call. And our passage this morning begins with a soldier standing on the side of the road waiting for the king to arrive. And the battle, as we read this story, the battle, it is, it's, it's in the story, the battle's just finished. The soldier has clearly been through it. He's got a bandage, it says, across his head. His eye is very puffy and bloody, and he looks like he's just been barely hanging on as the king passes him by. And as the king passes him by, he, he gets the king's attention, and he gives an account of what he did during the battle. And so in 1 Kings chapter 20, we start in verse 39, and I want to read verses 39 and 40 with us uh, together. So let's just read them. If you have your Bibles, you can read it on the screen. It says this, as the king passed by, the prophet called out to him and said, your servant went into the thick of the battle, and someone came to me with a captive, a POW, and said, guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his life 
or you must pay a talent of silver. And while your servant was busy, he tells the king, while the servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. This is your sentence, said the king of Israel. You have pronounced it to yourself. Now, the king, as we read this story, the king was understandably frustrated and really confused as to why this man would be so happy to give the king his report. Like, why in the world would this soldier give the report? I mean, it's, it's from the man's own confession that he failed to do the one thing that he had been asked to do in this battle. He was told, he said, in this war, you have one specific job. Take this prisoner of war and watch him. He said, I want you to guard him and I want you to keep him. The King James Version says, I want you to keep this man. And the point of his job was that don't let this man escape no matter what. You watch over him day and night and don't let anything happen to him. In fact, the soldier was told if he gets away, he says, if you lose this man, if he escapes your, your, your uh, presence, if he gets away from you, you will pay for it with your life or you will have to pay a talent of silver. In other words, the punishment for losing this man would have been this, that he would either have to die or he would have to pay something which would be the equivalent of like a half a million dollars. And so at any time that a common soldier like this man at any time would never have that amount of money and could never pay a talent of silver. So ultimately, the consequence for losing this man would be he would lose his own life. And we read on and he says that he let the man get away. And he gives, as he gives account, he says, I watched him. He's like, King, I watched him at first. I was taking great care of him. I was keeping an eye on him. I was checking in on him regularly. But eventually, I let him out of my sight. And he got away. And it's almost as if this soldier expects the king to let this one slide. It's almost as if he's like saying, you know, I, I let him get away, king, but... But come on, like nobody's perfect. Like nobody is perfect. I had good intentions. He's like, I really did. I had good intentions and, and I tried really hard. And there was an enormous amount of time where I kept watch over him and he didn't get away. But then there was just this five minutes, this five minute window where I took my eyes off him and I got busy doing stuff. And in that five minutes, he got away. He's like, King, you got to let this one go. I mean, nobody's perfect. And it's as if he's hoping for mercy. But the king is like, you told me yourself that you were warned that if you let this man get away, it would cost you your life. And so the king says, let it be so. In other words, the king's like, there's no getting out of this. You were told it was clear that that your one job was to make sure that this guy didn't get away, and you did it, and so the consequences of that is your life. And so it's obvious that this guy's not getting out of this jam that he's in. But is that what really happened? Like, is that what really took place? Uh, was this man even a soldier? Like, if we read in the context, here's a spoil alert. 
he wasn't a soldier at all, but he actually was a prophet sent by God to confront King Ahab. And the bloody eye that he had, the puffy eye, he did that to himself. And while we don't have time to read the entire story, I want to encourage you to go back later this week and read it. And you will find out exactly how this man got beat up. And you'll find out that there was a lion involved in it. It's a pretty crazy story. But the reason that this man fabricates the story, the reason this prophet that was sent by God to talk to the king fabricates a story that he was told to watch a man, that he was warned that if he got away, that his life would be on the line. But now that it happened, that he didn't like the results and he wanted someone to let, do something about it to let him go. And he was hoping, and the reason he tells this story is he's hoping to arouse in the king a revelation that this was the most ridiculous thing to do. And the prophet really, church, is telling the king, he's saying, listen, you were clearly warned, King Ahab, you were clearly warned that the very same thing on your watch, you were warned to keep watch over something and you failed to do the one job that you were called to do. And so the prophet really was putting up a mirror to King Ahab that he might realize that he was the man who was supposed to be on watch. That he was the one who had one job. And if he didn't do that one job, that his life would be forfeited. Now the particulars of why King Ahab uh, needed this message, it has a huge historical context. And it has everything to do with another king, the king of Syria who was called Ben-Hadad. And, and what happened in that exact day? I mean, the message is definitely for what's going on in that day. But what exactly this leadership parable meant to him is the most important issue for us today. That in other words, what does this have to do? What does this story have to do with you and me? What does it have to do with us this morning? Because I believe that this story is told and it is meant to hit us hard. That as we read this story two or more than 2,000 years later, that it's meant to get our attention. That it's meant for us to see that we too have been given an assignment. That each and every one of us has one thing that we're supposed to do. And so this morning, I want us to do the same thing that the prophet had intended for Ahab to do. I want us to insert ourselves into the story and, and I want us to find ourselves in the story. Because too often, here's what happens. Too often, you and I, we read the Bible, and we just think, oh, well, that was good for Peter, or that was good for Hannah, or that was amazing for David. And, and, and it's a cool story and everything. But I think that just like Ahab was meant to see that he was the man in the story, that we're, we're to do the same thing. That we are to see that there's something that we can learn from this story. And at some point, I think the big message is, is at some point we're going to have to stand before our king. And we're going to have to explain to him why, what we did with the one job that we were given. At some point, we're going to be standing on the side of the road and we're going to have to approach our king. And we're going to have to explain to the king of kings and lord of lords what we did with the one job that we were given to do. And you might be like, okay, Rick, I get it. 
that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna die and we're going to stand before God and he's the king. And so we're going to have to answer God. But you might be wondering, who in the world were we supposed to watch, right? Like, who are we supposed to watch? This, this prophet said that he was supposed to watch this man and he wasn't supposed to let him go. And who in the world are we supposed to be watching? And the answer is this that you were meant to watch the most difficult person to babysit on this planet. Like you were called. And you might be thinking, oh, I had a feeling you were going to say that, that that I was supposed to, that you were going to talk about my husband, right? Like he's the hardest person for me to watch. Or you were talking about my wife or you were talking about my kids or maybe someone on your soccer team or someone at work. But I'm not talking about any of those people. I'm talking about you, that that the person on the planet that is most suited to deceive you and to get away with it is you. It's you. The person who is capable of harming you is you. That you and I are often the most, uh, are, are often our own worst enemy. And the Bible, from the beginning to the end, warns us about how important it is that we watch ourselves, how important it is that we keep ourselves, how important it is that we take care of ourselves. We're the soldier. We're the soldier in the story who is meant to guard the other soldier, and we happen to be the other soldier too. And if we don't do the job we're meant to do by keeping ourselves, by watching ourselves, our lives will be forfeit. Why? Because when we're not watching ourselves, we will be snatched. Our life will be snatched up from us while we're not paying attention. And this is precisely what happens in the story. Like, notice what the soldier says in verse 40. He says, while your servant was busy. Anyone busy? Anyone in line? None of you are busy? Okay. So I'm the only one busy? James and I are busy. Okay, a couple of you in the back are busy too. We're all busy And it says, while your servant was busy here and there, the man just disappeared. One minute he was here, and then I got busy, and then I got distracted. And in that moment of busyness or distraction, he got away. And the soldier wasn't bad. He wasn't a bad person. He was just busy. And it's possible, is it possible that while you're going here and there and everywhere, and while you're being busy and distracted, that your life could possibly be passing you by? I mean, I want you to think about it, that slipping through your fingers is the version of yourself that you were always meant to be. That we get so busy and we get so caught up and we get so distracted that we're allowing the very person that God created us to be to slip through our fingers. That the version of yourself that Jesus sees that you're capable of becoming who you were always meant to be, is slipping away because we're so busy. That you are meant to guard yourself, that you are meant to watch yourself and lead yourself so that that person that Jesus created you to be won't slip through your fingers, so that you won't end up immature, or you won't end up selfish, or maybe small-minded, or living in self-pity, or smothered by anger, or, or stunting your own spiritual growth. You were meant to rise up. You were meant to become who God always created you to be. 
You were meant to rise up in strength and in power. And so this message really is our wake-up call. It's your wake-up call. It's my wake-up call that you are called by God to guard yourself, to look after yourself, to, to take care of yourself lest you get away. I mean, Jesus, didn't Jesus himself say that it's easy to chase after the things of this world? And then he said this, it's easy to chase after the things of this world and lose your soul. Lose your soul. I mean, think about that for a minute. That's intense. That Jesus said, listen, it's easy for us to get caught up in the distractions of the world and to chase after the things of the world. And the result is when we do that, we lose our own soul. I mean, how do you lose your soul? I don't want to lose my soul. I don't know about you. And, and you can find that verse in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. I'm not making it up. And I want to read what the message says. It says, what kind of deal is it? What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What kind of deal is it to chase after the things of the world and to get everything that you want in the world but to lose yourself? to lose the person that Jesus has always created you to be. And I think Jesus is warning us in Matthew 16 the same thing that is happening in 1 Kings 20, that we're not meant to be distracted, that we're not meant to be busy going here and there and chasing after this thing and that thing and allowing our lives to be defined by the things of the world. And suddenly, what happens when we get the things that we're chasing after? We end up losing our souls. Jesus says that we end up losing the version of ourselves that we were always meant to be. We find warnings throughout the Bible. Like, I'm not making this up. We find warnings throughout the Bible of how easy it is to trick yourself, how easy it is to deceive yourself, how easy it is to let yourself get away. For example, Proverbs chapter 4, 23 says this. It says, above all else. Let's read it out loud together. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What do you guard? Your heart. The Bible, the Proverbs says, above everything else, guard your heart because it knew that your hearts would easily steer us away from where God wants us to go. There's no area in your life quite like the heart that's able to control the outcome of our lives. Jude says it this way in Jude verse 21. It says, guard and keep yourselves in the love of God. Expect and patiently wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude knew that we have to guard our hearts. It says guard and keep yourselves in the love of God. Guard the things that are happening in your heart. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 19, or 9 says, the heart is what? Deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Listen, church, if you don't know this already, our hearts are able to steer us and trick us, and we have to guard our hearts. I share this Bible verse with you often. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is my favorite. It's my life verse. And it says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. 
Because again, the Proverbs, the, the, saw, he knew, the author of the Proverbs knew that our hearts, if we trust our hearts, they'll mislead us every time. And so we must choose to do the hard things. We've got to choose to watch after ourselves, to check in with ourselves. You've got to get in the habit of asking yourself the question, how am I doing? Right? Like, ask yourself, how am I doing? Am I, am I getting better? Am I guarding my heart? Am I staying the same? Am I stuck in neutral? Am I going in reverse? Am I fighting? Am I advancing? Am I, kind, am I a kinder husband? Am I a kinder spouse? Am I a better mother? Am I a better father? Am I a good friend? Am I becoming more patient manager? Am I becoming more like Jesus? You got to check your heart. Because here's the truth. Your heart is tricky. Let's just say that out loud. Your heart is tricky. Now just say, my heart is tricky. Just go ahead and say it. My heart is tricky. It is. And so it will talk you into doing things that you shouldn't do. Your heart will talk you into uh, doing things that you never imagined doing. The lust of the, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things will deceive us. And so... The Bible says we have to guard our hearts. You must be actively involved in guarding yourself. He said, uh, the, 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 the prophet said, guard this man. That's active, right? Like you can't guard someone and not be active. You got to have your eyes on them. You got to have your attention on them. It's, it takes intentionality to guard someone. And this, and this passage is reminding us that we've got to actively guard ourselves. You can't guard someone for only a little bit. You can't guard someone half of the time, and they're not going to get away. You've got to diligently keep yourself, watch yourself, because your heart is tricky. And Jesus said this in Mark 14, 38. He said, watch. Everybody say, watch. Watch, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like we want to, we want to do the right things, but our flesh is weak and so we have to guard our heart because if we don't guard our heart, our heart will lead us in the wrong directions. So if you know you're weak in certain areas in your life, right? Like if you know there are temptations that you gravitate to, if you know there are things or bad habits that you lean into, then you gotta take action by putting up guardrails and having accountability and systems in place in those areas of your life. So, so if pornography is a thing in your life, you got to guard your heart in that area. And you got to put up guardrails, right? Like you got to put, put on some software on your computer, uh, some, some like uh, accountability software. You, if, you, if, it's your, if it's like a laptop, you only look at your laptop in public places. If it's on your phone, you got to put on some accountability software on your phone. You got to put up guardrails to guard your heart. And that takes intentionality. So you got to get intentional about your spiritual formation. You got to do that, church. Like we have to be intentional. It takes work. And maybe that means by being in a small group of Christians who are praying for you weekly, a small group who are holding you accountable so that you can come and go into the world and not fall prey to every temptation. Because here's the deal. We were meant to be in the world. Like we weren't meant to be in holy huddles all the time. We were meant to go into the world to be salt and light in the world. And so we have to uh, put up guardrails 
so that we can do that. We got to have accountability in our lives so that we can go into the world safely and come back so that we don't give in to every temptation. You see, we need to live among people. We can't just live in the church all the time. We can't just be in our holy huddles and hanging around just church people. Listen, if you don't have friends that are non-church people, you need to get some new friends because you need to have some friends in your life that aren't church people because we're supposed to live among people in this world so that we might be salt and so that we might be light, so that we might be witnesses for Jesus about his goodness. But if there's not people in your life who know Jesus, if you're not eating and doing life with people who are followers of Jesus, it's going to be easy, too easy for you to give in to those around you. So we need to put up guardrails. We need to build guardrails around ourselves. We know that our flesh is weak, and so we watch. That's what Jesus said in Mark. We watch and we pray. Because if we don't, we will fail and we'll give in and we will be tempted and we will fall prey to our temptations. And that's why it's so important. It's so important for us to live the Jesus-centered life. It's so important for us to put Jesus at the center of everything we do. Like Jesus is first and then it's then it's our relationships, and then it's our children, and then it's uh, our friendships. And the, but Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. If we don't guard our hearts, we'll gravitate to other things. And so today is a wake-up call. It is your wake-up call. Your life is passing you by, and you need to keep watch over yourself. You need to fight to guard over the version of yourself that you were always created to be. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to wake up with heartbreak and regret. And I think about when I started getting serious about my relationship with Jesus. It was after college and, and, uh, and I had just gotten a ministry position and I was working with students and, and I fell in love with ministry and I fell in love with Jesus and there's this wave of regret that came over me. Because, and it was regret because I felt like I wasted my college years. And I felt like I wasted my high school years. Because there were so many opportunities for me to be salt and light in high school. And there were so many opportunities for me to be salt and light in college. And I missed them. And I had to deal with that regret. I had to, I had to ask God for forgiveness. Because I didn't have guardrails in my life, in high school, in college. And I, and, I, and, I, and I got outside of the realm of what Jesus wanted for my life. And so we need to fight over the best version of ourselves, the version that God created us to be. And I don't want you to wake up with regret. I don't want you to wake up one day going, man, where did my life go? What did I do with my life? What did I waste my life on? Look at how many opportunities I had to be salt and light and I missed them. And then you're standing before God and you're realizing that you let him get away, that you let the best version of yourself get away. So there's two things that you got to guard against, and we're going to wrap up. Two things that you got to guard against that you have to keep watch over. And the first one is this, giving in. you got to guard over giving in. And it's so easy to give in. 
especially in the world that we live in, it's so easy for us to give in. We, we give in to distractions all the time. Like that little phone that you carry around in your pocket is one of the biggest distractions that we have. And we give in. Or we give in to lies, right? Not just distractions, but we give in to lies. Lies like, uh, I'll always be this way. I'll never be good enough. I could never do the things that so-and-so does for God. I'll never be a lover of Jesus like so-and-so is. And we compare and we give in to the lies that the evil one whispers in our ears. And we have to just make a commitment that we're not going to give in. We're not going to give in to the distractions like uh, binge-watching Netflix for 30 hours straight when we could be doing other things. We're not going to give in to the distractions uh, that happen on our phones. We're not going to give in to the lies that the evil one is constantly whispering in our ears. And the second temptation is this. It's giving up. Not only are we not going to give in, but we're saying, hey, we're not going to give up because giving up is a real temptation. Giving up control of ourselves to something else is a huge temptation. Giving up control of ourselves to a substance. Giving up ourselves uh, to uh, our control of ourselves to a bad habit. It's so easy. We give up to a substance or a hab- habit and we lose control of ourselves. So we can't give up. But we also have to fight against the temptation of giving up because it's hard. Like too many of us quit. Too many Christians quit because it's hard. It's hard to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. It's, and, and, and let's just be real. Life in and of itself is hard. But then the truth is following Jesus is really hard. But the good news is that we don't have to do it alone. And we're never alone. Number one, Jesus promised that he is always with us. That he'll never leave us. Even in the most challenging and difficult situation in our lives, Jesus will walk with us through that. But also, our God is, is, is so good that he can do the impossible. Right? He can do the impossible in your life and in my life. So we don't give up. We don't give in and we don't give up. Now, you're probably wondering, well, what in the world does all that have to do with Hitler, right? Like the question I asked you, how would the world be different today if Hitler was a mourning person? Well, I don't know if you remember, but on June 6th of 1944, which, by the way, is 78 years ago this mon- next Monday, that was D-Day, right? That was D-Day, and it was the most decisive event in World War II. Like D-Day was the, day, was the day that changed the tides on World War II. 160,000 troops coming into France to take it away from the Nazis. And it was the invasion, this invasion that really turned the tide on the war. And it was the, alar- it was the largest amphibious assault ever in history. And it was the biggest military, I don't know if you knew this or not, it was the biggest military hoax since the Trojan horse. Now, what do I mean by that? The fact that the Allied forces managed to completely deceive the whole Axis army about where the landing was going to take place on D-Day is pretty impressive. You see, Hitler knew when it was coming. Like, he knew when the Allied forces were going to come into his backyard because you don't mobilize that many people without the enemy knowing. So Eisenhower, who was the supreme commander... Well, he knew that the Nazis knew they were coming, but they didn't know where. They didn't know where the Allied forces were going to come. And you see, 
Hitler had the entire Atlantic wall, um, uh, and he thought it was impenetrable. And so he ran, uh, it ran basically from the, uh, from the Arctic basically down to almost Spain. And, and he thought that this massive stretch would hold. Like he was confident that he had a hold on that whole stretch. And he made sure that there was guns and pillboxes and barbed wire and military forces all along it to watch that stretch. And so the Allied forces basically tried to trick Hitler into thinking that they were going to land off the southern coast of France because, well, that would be the closest place from England and it would also be the most shallow place for them to land. And so they had Hitler convinced that that was going to be where they were going to land, that that they tricked him into thinking that that's where the invasion was going to happen. And on the morning of D-Day, I found this fascinating. On the morning of D-Day, they rained down paratroopers who were actually mannequins. They called them paradummies. And they, they, they let these paradummies uh, all over. They, they, they launched them all over the south of France. And then they covered the area adjacent to that, that they were trying to uh, make Hitler think that they were going to land. They filled them with inflatable tanks. Not like tanks, but like tanks, like big tanks. And so they had these big inflatable tanks all over that area so that Hitler and his forces would think that they were, uh, they were preparing for a massive attack on the south of France. And so when they would take these aerial reconnaissance photos, uh, it looked like there were so many tanks on the ground in the south of France, but they were actually just these dummy balloon tanks. And meanwhile, guess what was happening? The real invasion was happening at the five beaches of Normandy. And one of the reasons the whole thing worked out And this is truly fascinating. The reason it worked is because Hitler wasn't a morning person. Hitler wasn't a morning person. He liked to sleep in. And he often slept in as late as noon. And on D-Day, this was what was happening. He was asleep. And remember, he knew when it was happening. Like he knew that D-Day was coming. He just didn't know where. And he was so confident that that even that morning of D-Day, he chose to sleep in. He told everyone, don't bother me until I wake up. And his men were so afraid of him that they were afraid to wake him up once they figured out that those paratroopers were actually paradummies. And once they figured out that those tanks weren't real, but they were afraid. And once they realized that Normandy was the place of attack and that, that, that only Hitler could give permission for the, panzer, uh, for the elite panzer division to be deployed... They wouldn't wake him up. They were too afraid of him. And once he finally woke up around 11 or 12, guess what? It was too late. The Allied forces had already gotten a foothold on the beaches of Normandy. And it led to them taking France back and changing the direction of World War II. Now, I tell you that, not because I'm saying if you're a night owl, you're going to hell or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should change your ways if you stay up late and don't get up early. What I'm saying is you can't win a war if you're sleeping. And you can't win the war in your heart if you're asleep. Romans chapter 13, 11 says it this way. This is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. 
for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. My, one of my other favorite verses, Ephesians 5.14. It actually quotes another scripture in Psalm. And it says this. It says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Can we just say that together? Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. You see, church, today, this is our wake-up call. We have one life. We have one life. And it will soon be pass, pass us by. And only what we do for Christ will last. So let me just encourage you today to guard your hearts. Your heart's tricky. It will trick you every time. So guard your hearts. Watch yourself. Make sure that you are keeping watch constantly. And in the areas of your weakness, start putting up some guardrails. Start putting up some guardrails in your life so that you don't fall to the left or to the right, but you stay right in the center where Jesus wants you to be. The Bible tells us over and over and over again to guard your hearts. So there's a few people this morning in here that I just want to talk to. First of all, there's some folks in here who have never said yes to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've been following your heart all your life, and you've experienced regret after regret after regret. So this morning, if that's you, I'm just inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. I'm inviting you to partake in the Jesus-centered life. And the Bible is very clear on how to do this. It says all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that he died and rose from the dead for you. See, Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that we might be rescued from ourselves and from our sin. So if that's you this morning, we're going to pray and I'm going to invite you just to invite Jesus into your life. Say, Jesus, I've been trying to lead my own life and I've been a failure at it, but I want to start today following you. Then there's some people in here today that you realize that you have given in to every whim that your heart has led you to. And every time you've given in, it's led to some regret in your life. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you just to say, you know what, Lord, I, I, please forgive me. I ask for forgiveness for the things that I've done that have not been things that you would desire for my life. And I'm going to start today anew, fresh, guarding my heart. I'm going to start putting some guardrails up in my life. And then there's some of you in here today where you've been salt and light, but maybe some people around you need you. Maybe they need you to be salt and life in their life right now. Like maybe you know some people that you could just step up to and say, hey, I got your back. I know life's been hard. I know things haven't gone the way you wanted them to, but I'm with you. Jesus is always with you, but I'm with you. And maybe you just need to walk up to someone during the last song and just say, hey, I just feel like you need to know that I'm with you. I got your back. I'm here for you. If you need someone to hold you accountable, I'm your woman or I'm your man. I will help you in any way I can. Because we need that church. 
We need each other and we need people in our lives that would be willing to walk with us in those times that we need someone. So where are you today? Do you need to choose Jesus for the first time? Maybe you need to say, you know what, God, I've followed my heart one too many times. I've lived a life and I've got some regrets and I want to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you're here today and you need to step up and you need to walk with somebody that needs you. Just step up to them. You don't have to make a big show of it. Just walk up to them. I got your back. I just want you to know I'm here for you. That will be the most powerful thing that you can do in someone's life. That's being salt and light. I'm with you. What can I pray for? How can I help you? What can I do for you? So as the band plays, you just step up to somebody. Say, what can I do? Pray with them right then and there. As always, these altars will be open as we pray. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come, and you pray uh, as long as you need to up here. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you've given us the wisdom today to guard our hearts, Lord, that you knew that uh, our hearts are weak. Our flesh is so weak. God, we chase after things that you've never desired for us to chase after. God, we get sideways. Our life gets off, off kilter. We get off the path. Lord, we find ourselves in the middle of high weeds and we're lost and we need help back home. God, you never leave us in those moments, and you are here to help lead us back. And Father, we thank you for that. God, we thank you that there are people in this room that are willing to step up and walk with us through the really difficult times in our lives. And God, there's some people in here that are really struggling, and they don't know what direction to go. They don't know what step to take. And Lord, there's some people here that can help them and walk with them. So Father, would you just place on the hearts of those people that are willing to step up to the people that they need to step beside and walk with. And Father, there's people in here that have never given their life to you, never said yes to you, never surrendered their life to you, and I pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they would say yes, Lord. Today would be the day that they would say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you and that I need a relationship, a personal relationship with you. And I invite you to come and be my Lord and Savior today. Come and be my Lord. Father, we just, I pray for these people. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each of their lives. God, that there would be forgiveness when there's regret. God, that there would be strength when there's when they're willing to just give up right now. God, that there would be encouragement when they're wanting to give in. God, that there would be people that would walk beside them when they're alone. Lord, you just do what you do best. And minister to the people of your, of your house. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us oh, in so many good ways. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, why don't you stand up with me right now? We're going to sing a great song together. Raven's going to lead us. She's new. This is her first time with us. She's going to lead us in a great song. But as she sings, if you feel led, just come. Come and pray. If you need someone to pray with you, just tap me. I'll come and pray with you. Grab someone around and say, hey, I need you to come pray with me and just spend time in prayer up here. This is your altar. This is your house. This is your area. You come. <laughs>